Thank you for tuning in Cop with Comic. I'm Brian Cop, and we're here with comic Tony Sykowski. Sykowski, how the hell are you? I'm good, man. How oh, are good, you? Good. And let us know where they can find you. Uh, just be hilarious online. You know, what are all your social handles? Are that Tony Sykowski across all social platforms? No, so or, so it's Tony Sykowski uh, handle at Mr. Tony Syke. Nice. Syke, P-S-Y-C-H. Okay, Syke. Yeah. We, we used to say that. We, we used to say psych back in the day. I don't know if yeah, you did. It's I'm probably showing my age. No, I think it's <laughs> something that keeps going. Everyone yes. comes up and they're like, have you ever considered going by Tony Syke? <laughs> And I always tell him that's like my alter ego, like Dane Cook, broy, like kind of douchebag oh, character. That's cool. Like, have you actually I've, done that on stage yet? No, I haven't. Okay. But it, because you try I make, not to embrace the bro. Uh, you know, or what? don't you do as many characters? I I don't do too many characters. I think it's like there's part of me that's like kind of broy. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, college, you know, drink a lot of Keystone Light, you know, yes. you, you have your phases. Natty Light. Um, yeah, I like a good dick joke, farts, always funny, you know, <laughs> so it's like, I can be a trash human, uh, <laughs> but I feel like that's just like too much. Okay. You know, like, uh, there's something about like, I get it where you're like, oh, Mr. Tony Sy, yeah. or like whatever. Um, I think it's funny, but if anyone thought I was being serious, yeah. I feel like that would be a lot. Because would it be uh, jarring to the rest of your act? Like other stuff on stage, you're trying not to come off as a bro because, of course, you're not. You're a, nu- yeah. a nuanced, well-rounded human being. Yeah, okay. I think that would be tough. Where it, That would be a pigeonhole thing. Like yeah. even now, it's like I've, I haven't seen Dane Cook do anything like recently. Okay. Um, but I can only imagine what his act is now that he's middle-aged. Yeah. Right? Like I could see that kind of pigeonholing you. As a person. Yeah. I mean, after he made a bucket load of money or a shitload of money. Yeah. He's doing fine. <laughs> I'm not too worried about that, him. Then he, he's probably been able to tone it down because all his fans are probably older by now, too. Yeah. So, so you, you could do that. Also, I'm like you said, I like to think I'm a re- well-rounded person. Yeah. You know, not saying I am, but I like to think I am. And then you lived in Chicago for a while. Like, does any of the well-rounded background you're talking about come from the Chicago background? Yeah. Because you did an improv and sketch out there. And yeah. I kind of wonder if, you know, why did you kind of move into stand-up and what are the differences between the New York and Chicago scenes. Yeah, so I know Chicago, it's a great scene. What's great about Chicago is it's a lot easier to get stage time, uh-huh. I feel like. Quality, it's a lot quality, stage, yeah. quality stage time with not just uh, other comics in the audience. Yeah, I think uh, New York, there's a lot of focus on industry okay. and getting booked. Like in New York, it, it, there's a lot of shows where like you won't get booked unless you have a TV credit. It's just kind of how it works, and that makes sense. And then how am know? I going to get that TV credit if you don't book me on your show? Exactly. It's that <laughs> weird catch-22. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know someone said it where they're like, oh, the easiest way to get booked for stand-up is to not do stand-up, <laughs> you know? It's like get on a reality TV show or something, and then everyone will book you. That is sad. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, I think so- I read a magazine article like that where they just did, did this big in-depth study. I thought it was on a Vice or some shit, and they said Chicago was the best place for stand-up comedy, and a lot of that had to do with being able to get stage time. Yeah, and I think that's good. Um, I think also New York makes you stronger as a comedian, too. Okay. Um, cause you have such a limited amount of stage time when yeah. you use it, you got to get all the laughs you can. Wow. So I know it's, if you listen to like kind of stylistically, I feel like Chicago has a little bit more of like a storytelling 
kind of yeah. style to it. It's a little more laid back. Because you have more time to get to the joke. Yeah. And it's kind of, I think there's a little bit more of a Midwest vibe to it. Okay. Right? Mid- people mid- are Midwest little, nice, ready to listen. Yeah. They pay attention in the audience, right? Yeah. And people are th- used to things being a little slower. Yeah. You know? But in New York, it's like you're on stage and they're like, okay, make us laugh now. We're drunk. <laughs> we're homeless. Whoever's in the audience. Like, you got to catch our attention and keep it. And you look at some of those bills in New York City and, the, you know, like 20 people. And I, I saw a comment to a show bill and, and he goes... Dude, that's a lot of fucking comics. How long is this thing? It's like, oh, it's a couple hours. Everybody gets you three to five minutes or some shit. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. In Chicago, that might be a little different. Like the only time I'd, well, I did, well, I did open mics in Chicago in New York City. And the only, well, I guess the only time I did it in Chicago, it was like a full room of like normal ass people. And mm-hmm. I got so spoiled. Like, you know, I, you know, it's belly last from everybody. I was killing it. It was at the Cubby Bear by Wrigley Field right there. It's like, how the fuck? And then you go to New York City and you're in Greenwich Village and there's three comics out there. And that's how you can't make them laugh if they're not paying attention. Yeah. I think it's also what Mike you go to. It's okay. what's good about New York and bad is it's so oversaturated with comedians. Yeah. So it does keep you, you have to be writing, you have to be performing constantly. You can't get complacent right. just because it is so competitive. And people are moving here every six months being like, I'm going to be the next Mark Norman, whatever. <laughs> like, and you're like, okay, well, I got to keep going. Yeah, dude, we had, we had Rich Duncan on here, and he's a little bit older, and he was talking about, oh, I, I looked at all 70 comics, and I, I didn't recognize many of them. And he, he, he said, it just goes to show that people don't stop doing stand-up comedy, like, meaning there's always busloads of new people, and there's always new graduating classes. Yeah. And so, like, how do you make sure that you stick out? Like, are you, is there anything from improv or sketch that make its way into your act? Like, are you doing any act outs or anything like our characters? I guess Tony Syke is not the character who's yeah. going to do it, right? Um, you know what? It's kind of, uh, not really. I do like some, some act outs, but I wouldn't consider myself like, um, I don't know, like a character based comedian. Okay. It's kind of what led me from going away from like improv and sketch. Uh, cause it's something where I love like improvising, like with friends, sketch comedy is amazing, but a lot of times I feel like I play closer myself. So a lot of the characters are kind of like, oh, if I was in this situation, what would happen? Uh, Whereas I know like some of my friends, it's the type of thing where you see them in a character and you're like, oh, that seems like a real character. But somehow it's this doctor who only has one finger. (sighs) But somehow it feels real. They're like, how did they immerse themselves in this bizarre ass character? And I suppose like your your instinct to put yourself in a certain situation really lends lends itself well to being a stand-up. Yeah. Because people want to see that consistent persona, that consistent point of view in all the situations. Yeah. And I feel like even there were times during improv scenes and stuff where I I felt like the last wasn't the character I was playing. It's the fact that I was playing the character, if that makes sense. Okay, and that's not how it should be. And you know what? I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. If you're getting laughs, if you're getting laughs, fuck it. But I was like, but then you see people that are amazing character actors. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, Uh, man. Yeah, like Melania was saying that about writing for Hader and um, Armisen. He's like, dude, that's, you know, like, I'm not better at what they do than they are. Like, you are writing for Jimi Hendrix at that point. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, like, let them do what they do. And I, what I didn't like is I think I took a, took one improv class, meaning I should have gone ten times, but I only went once. It was that bad. Like, the, I hated the lack of control, and other people were ready to seize that limelight. Like, you were sharing the stage with other people who were similarly egotistical. Yeah, yeah, and I think what's good about improv is I'm comfortable with things going off the rails. Okay. Um, so if that's happening, it's like, cool, just keep your composure. Um, and then see what happens. Sometimes it's going to be a mess. You know, like if there's a room where a lot of people are heckling, a lot of people are talking, I don't like, I'm not too worried. I'm just like, oh, well, I guess we're going to have to focus on that for a while. Oh, okay. So, so you kind of like just change routes. So even in stand-up, it allows you to stay in the moment because you're fine going wherever the room goes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that, that works out pretty well. Um, 
And yeah, I think it is good also having like improv and sketch background because you see a lot of stand-ups and they like only know open mics. Yeah. They only know that rhythm. And you see them on stage. I'm like, dude, you got to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you got to like just learn how to play a different way. Because you can be much bigger. You can be than bigger. The, than the rhythms of stand-up comedy. And I also have a pet peeve where it's like, there are sometimes you'll do open mics, like you said, three people in a room, right? And uh, then people like, uh, and open mics, people do them anywhere in New York, right? I think yeah. I've heard of people doing them on like trains and libraries <laughs> and like. It, I think I saw some insane. of those pictures, yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, but then you'll be in a room, tiny room, handful of people, and the mic goes out and people are like, oh, I can't do it without a mic. And it's like, dude, we are it's easier to just talk to us. Yeah. Like just learning how to project basic acting tools that people have been using forever. Stand-ups get spoiled and think they have to have a mic. Yeah. But really it's like, if you're willing to do an open mic on a train, learn how to do it without a mic. <laughs> you know, I think we can handle it. I think we, like I, I was playing a show, I think it was Irish Exit or something that my buddy booked or my buddy was in charge of. And this guy didn't know anything about anything. He's not in the, you know, he's not in entertainment at all. And we couldn't play because he had nothing. He had no PA and we go through the, the PA and stuff. But the comics, of course, there's a couple of comics, they get up there and they just project and the, they had the whole room. So yeah. they were able to entertain where musicians could not. Yeah, and I think that's the amazing thing about doing stand-up is you control everything to a degree, right? Yeah, like, I love that. So you can't handle, like, what the room is is what the room is. But you're there in your act. You wrote the jokes. You're performing the jokes. Yeah. You book yourself. So it's great because you have all this control. It sucks because it's isolated. Right. You know, you have to do everything. Yeah. Um, so if you're having a bad day, you don't, like, improv, if you're having a bad day, you can lean on someone in the group. Yeah. Right? Someone else can help you kind of, like, carry the load. If you're having an off night uh, with stand-up, you're kind of like, okay, just man up, do whatever you got to do. And, and is there anything that you can do in like teaming up with other stand-up comedians, like, you know, running your own monthly show that kind of helps you to lean on, you know, have a yeah. couple people who are similarly situated? Yeah, I think um, people are good about like kind of co-producing shows and co-working stuff, but it's also um, the thing where everyone has their own schedule, own yeah. individual goals. Yeah. And I think that's good. It's kind of what led me to stand-up. Because with improv, the kind of the joke I always tell to other improvisers is I never want to fill out another doodle. It's a scheduling website where everyone puts in their availability for like two hour slots where you can rehearse. Wow. And it's a nightmare. That's a doodle? I mean, just imagine like how hard it is to like meet up with a couple of friends. Yeah. Right? Book dinner. Yeah. Let alone uh, an improv team that not everyone's committed to. Yes. who is also trying to figure out how to meet up with friends outside of that yes. and then balancing the two things. Yeah, like everybody, it's so funny that it's hard enough to book a dinner, but it's even worse. Like if you have 10 improvisers who also could cancel it to have dinner with family and friends. Yeah, That's or <laughs> imagine trying to book a dinner where you're not actually having dinner, right? It's like... <laughs> yeah, it's like you don't even get to fucking eat. It's like we're doing all this and we just have to go there and be funny and hopefully it yeah. works. Like with improv, it's just it's just kind of magical. But I, I imagine it can go just so fucking bad. Like if something, you know, I don't know, you pick the wrong, they shout out some shitty object or that somebody on the team is greedy. It's like a Michael Scott, you know, Michael Scott yeah. in the office where he did the improv. Like he would always always pull out a gun and own the scene. Yeah, <laughs> so that's kind of you the... You could have somebody in there who's, who's just shitty at improv. Yeah, and I think near the end especially... Um, if you're with people that are good at improvising, same with stand-up, I think it's like, um, you'll be fine. Okay. Uh, it's more like kind of the wild cards. People that show up, they don't know what they're doing, and they're insane human beings. <laughs> right? So it's like uh, the same problems you see in improv, you also see in stand-up at open mics. Right. 
right? You'll see that guy who gets on stage and they just go nuts and everyone's like, whoa, what is happening? Yeah. This is uncomfortable. Let me go to a different mic. But at the very least, he might not hear, so he might not be interrupting your your controlled set. Yeah. So that's, that's why it's better than impro- improv. And one, one thing that's a little unique is the fact that you grew up on a fucking farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Western then, Massachusetts. Yeah, so then you ended up in Chicago and New York City. So what's it like to kind of grow up on a farm and then end up just, I don't know, just kicking ass in the entertainment meccas? Oh, thanks for saying I'm kicking ass. Yeah. Uh, Tony Syke, bro. Yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> How could you even be a bro? Like, you're, you're a farm boy. You can't be a bro. I, well, I suppose a lot of them probably are. You, know you mentioned Keystone Light, Natty Light. Those are probably farm boys, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the redneck bro. It's the different thing. It's like the southern frats. I love you know, that. they're they're blasting a uh, old chromes and show wagon wheel. You know, they're going nuts. Dude, I was I was in a fraternity for a year in Decatur, Illinois, which is mm-hmm. kind of uh, you know that's where Archer Daniels Midland, and so it was like soybean. Farmers. Yeah, yeah. And so it should not have surprised me that they were a little bit bro there, and yeah. it only lasted a year. But then you make your way to Chicago and New York, and so like, what from your upbringing um, has made it easier or difficult to live in Chicago, New York? Were you just so happy to you know have action at all? Oh. Oh, yeah. I mean, just scheduling, too. Like, uh, working day jobs compared to farming, so easy. <laughs> it's amazing. Because growing up, I'd work seven days a week, 7 a.m., 5 p.m. Sundays, my dad would consider it a day off because it was only 7 a.m. to noon. You know? It, like, he doesn't realize that it's waking up early is the problem, right? <laughs> like, that's the part that no one likes. That's the problem in any job, and you had to do that seven days a week. Yeah. So, over the summer, I was doing that. Then, like, during the school year, I'd only work weekends, you know? Um, but yeah, so, and that's hard work. It's me on a tractor by myself 10 hours a day or working in the field with other guys on the farm. Um, so it's hard manual labor at the end of the day, you're spent. You just want to go out, have a couple drinks, fall asleep. That's farming. It's a lifestyle more than it is like a job. Cause, uh, that's know, the lifestyle. Yeah, you you spend some time and then you just fucking have a couple of drinks and you go to bed. That's the lifestyle. That's the lifestyle. <laughs> and then during those drinks, if a rainstorm hits, you gotta go check the barns. You gotta it, it controls everything. Oh, but it's similar like doing stand up where if um or doing comedy where if you get a last minute show booking, you're canceling that dinner plan. Yeah. You're like, okay, this is kind of what I'm doing it for. That's the equivalent of the rain having to check the barns. Yeah. Okay. Someone's like, hey, someone dropped. Can you do a spot? And you're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. It's raining. I gotta go check the barns. What else? what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking hilarious. And then is there anybody in New York City that you found who uh, grew up on a farm? Because um, there are certain people, like I, I think um, there's certain, I thought it was Adam Mueller who might be starting a podcast related to people who have lived elsewhere. So not only transplants, but they're transplants from commonwealths. So they call it like uncommonwealth. So he's from Canada. Somebody else might be from Australia or New Zealand or some shit. So have you, have you kind of bumped into farm boys? And are yeah. you able to spot each other on the scene? Um, you know what? I can't really spot people. My problem is no one believes me when I say I grew up on a farm, <laughs> right? Because I'm very like, I'm pretty, I don't know, passive. I don't know the right f- word for it. I'm yeah. pretty laid back. Yeah. Um, and I feel like if you're not rocking a MAGA hat and like a lip full of chew, people yeah. are like, wait, what? <laughs> and even when I say I grew up on a farm, I think most people think it's like, uh, my mom had a garden. Or it's, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you yeah, grew you... up in a farming town. I'm like, no, it's a 250 acre vegetable farm. Oh, fuck. You know? Can you wait? Two hundred fifty acres. Yeah. Of fucking vegetables. Mm-hmm. That's the, first of all. That's disgusting. As a person <laughs> who hates fucking vegetables, but yeah. So what did that? Um, you know, how would that? I saw cornfields. Like we grew up around cornfields. Mm-hmm. There was cornfield at the end of the street. Like what's it? How the fuck do you have that many vegetables in two hundred fifty acres? So what, what kind of vegetables? I suppose corn could be. What is corn a vegetable? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's okay, a vegetable. But it was not a corn. A corn farm. Uh, also, if you're getting into nuance of like what is and isn't a fruit and vegetable, yeah. I mean, I'll end the conversation on tomatoes. Yeah. You know, it's like that crazy thing where people are like, oh, so I can ask you about like nitrogen in the soil? I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> I, 
uh, I worked on the farm. I also tried to like distance myself from it, so I wasn't like studying it because I was like, oh, I want to get away from this. Yeah. And I've realized if you're ever like prepared for a job or like people know you're qualified to do something, you will end up doing that. Oh shit! If right? you had like, got an agriculture degree or whatever, your dad would have somehow shanked oh, you. Oh yeah, it was me. A part of moving to Chicago is I was like, okay, well, this is a way to establish distance, two thousand miles <laughs> of distance. You were far enough away from Western Massachusetts farm where they couldn't rope you into work. Yeah, because even growing up, there were times where I was like, oh, maybe I'll get another job or something. And I was like, oh, no, if I'm still living at home, I'm still going to be getting that call when I, if I had the day off. You'd be like, okay, well, you can drive a tractor over there for me. Oh, and then gosh. it's that's how they get you in. That's it's how like, they get you in. You could drive the tractor. If all else fails, the tractor runs. Yeah, and then you go, well, you know, everyone's busy. How about you just plow this field for us? Uh, and then, <laughs> then, you're, then you're done. Then you're done. And then the plow breaks, and then you're there all day. And so thank God you were doing stand-up comedy in New York City, and they can find the funny online at Tony Syke or Tony uh, Mr. Tony Syke. Mr. Tony Syke, but it's Tony Sykowski. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian.